My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met yet, um, welcome to, to the city. You know, we've been in Acts chapter 2. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to it, man. It was a powerful message. Acts chapter 2, all about Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit falls on, on the followers of Jesus, and this, this is the birthday of the church, as the, the Holy Spirit of God, the promised gift. You remember uh, Jesus telling his followers to go to Jerusalem to wait. They're in the upper room. They're, they're, they're seeking God earnestly. They're united in prayer, and the Holy Spirit falls. And God performed, I love this from last week, God performing CPR on mankind as he breathed his life into his followers. Man, just such a powerful, powerful picture. And this was the, the spark, the, this Holy Spirit-empowered movement that would lead to the good news of the gospel being spread across the globe. It all began right here. We're going verse by verse through Acts. You know this, right? And, and if you if you're new here, or if you know if you have kids, especially if you have kids in one of our areas today, if it's if it's elementary or preschool or youth or whatever, they're doing the exact same thing today that you are. They're, they're reading the same verses and they're studying the, the exact same same stuff. We're gonna be doing the same thing in our city groups this week. We're gonna be talking about this content and try, how to apply it to our lives. It's gonna be a, a part of our daily devos, Monday through Friday this next week. And I wanna tell you today, from one parent to another, again, if, if you have kids, you made a good choice bringing your families here today. And this has nothing to do with the fact that I work here. If, if I didn't, I would still attend here because I want my kids studying God's word. And, and remember, as parents, our first call as parents, our first objective and our privilege is to introduce our kids to Jesus. And this is a great start, just having them here today. So, so I want to commend you for that. Um, actually, this week, we're, we're not going ahead in Acts. We're pushing pause a little bit. And we're going to cover just a few verses that Clayton covered last week, a few uh, kind of topics that he didn't have time to quite get into. And I, I think, you know, it's not something that we, we hear taught on a lot. It's something that maybe is, is misunderstood by people, or maybe people are intimidated by some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And so I'm super excited to get into it. We're going to be in um, Acts chapter 2. I encourage you to use the, the message notes app uh, in the, on our app, the message notes uh, tab on our app. To follow along, they'll be on the screen too. But I, I asked uh, Josue to come and read our verse for us today. So would you guys stand just in the honor of the reading of God's word? City Church, awesome that y'all could be here. If we haven't met, my name is Josue. Awesome that y'all are here. So a little bit about myself is I attend the Luera City Group, and I'm also part of our Prayer ministry, and I'm also part of City, uh, City Youth and Prayer Ministry. Love it. Uh, we'll be reading in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, and the Word of God says, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Thanks, dude. You guys can have a seat. So you remember this from last week. This is the very first sermon of this New Testament church. You have this guy, Peter, who, if you recall, back when we went through Luke, when Jesus was arrested and he was on trial, like he completely lost his mind, denied even knowing Jesus, completely full of fear. And now 
He has been filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered with boldness. And he, he steps out in front of this multitude of people and gives the first gospel message. And this is part of what we're looking at here as, as he's sharing who Jesus was and what he did for, for, for everyone. And he quotes the prophet Joel. This is from Joel 2, right? He's, he's connecting Joel 2 with the events that are happening right then and there, like unfolding before their eyes, starting with, with Pentecost as his spirit is poured out. And he's calling them last days events, last day. So again, watch last week. Clayton talked a lot about that, some super powerful stuff. But the last days is talking about when God brings restoration and judgment, specifically the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we are, we are in the last days and also... They were in the last days. The last days is a period of time that started with Pentecost and ends when Jesus ultimately returns again. And he's pouring out his spirit on who? Who does it say in the last days God will pour out his spirit on everyone, all people? A lot of translations say all flesh. Luke is saying that the church of his day and up to this day should continue to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's for all believers, even in this current age that, that we live in. God, God is pouring out his spirit, wanting to pour out his spirit on his followers. He wouldn't pour his spirit out only to take it back again. So this is, this is for us. This is a great quote from John Piper. Speaking of all flesh, all flesh does not mean every individual. It means every sort of individual in every nation. It means that no one can look at anything he is by birth and say, this excludes me from the promise. But what we do learn new from the New Testament is that the only way to receive the promise of the Spirit is to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So you remember how this Joel prophecy ends, right? The very, the very end of it says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call on his name. This is who his Spirit is poured out upon. All who call on his name, but also only those who call on his name. A couple of interesting points just before we kind of get into the, the meat of it. Once again here, again, starting with Joel's prophecy, but also Peter repeating it, Luke recording it, is the highlight of, of women. This has been kind of a theme of Luke's writing, right? He, he kind of leans into it, it seems. There were women in that upper room during Pentecost that experienced everything that the guys did the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them. And then now you have this, this prophecy basically saying what's happening right now in front of our eyes is fulfilling what he said long ago. Men and women will receive the Spirit and will prophesy. Joel's prophecy is declaring the eradication of any, any gender barrier in the gift of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of, of, of prophecy. In the Old Testament, you will have occasionally some, some women prophesy but they're few and far between. And what Luke didn't say is that the Spirit will be poured out on mostly men and also a few women. It doesn't say that. It says all flesh. And then specifically mentions men and women. Also, not just male, female, but young and old. It's for the young. It's for the old. Luke is highlighting here through the Holy Spirit this special relationship that God seems to have with those that, that can tend to be forgotten on the social scale of things. Joel's prophecy here is challenging every socioeconomic barrier of their times, even of our times. The Spirit of God is for all. Young, old, male, female. 
the Holy Spirit, all believers, without this the distinction of gender, age, social status, receive the wisdom and the ability to know the God of the universe. And this is huge. The, the spirit that hovered over the waters, the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is now ours as followers of Jesus. Not just with us, but in us. One with us. So, so God now poured out his spirit on his people. And with, with God's spirit comes spiritual gifts. Now we're gonna cover a little bit of theology here. If, if you wanna go back and learn about what is a spiritual gift and what are all the gifts and what is my gift, uh, that's all, we did all that in creed. Like uh, I think it was how the church operates or something like that. If you go back and look at our creed series. Also on our app under the prayer tab, there is a spiritual gifts test, a, a link to a digital one that you can take. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, if you're a Christ follower, you have his spirit in you. You have spiritual gifts. And we'd love to know, we'd love you to know what they are. But let's define it first. Spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an empowerment from God for God's people through the spirit for spiritual work in the church. Some gifts appear to magnify ordinary attitudes and talents like leadership, generosity, helping, while other gifts are out of the ordinary and have a supernatural quality like prophecy, tongues. That's Michael Bird. Here's one from... Uh, a quote from Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. Paul gives all kinds of instructions when it comes to using spiritual gifts in the context of a, a church body. 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 26, he says, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, one will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So, so the purpose of spiritual gifts, and again, you have several, the purpose of those gifts that he's given you is to serve the body, to be primarily used to, to, to build up the church. And prophecy is, is one of those gifts. So, so what is prophecy? What does it mean to prophesy? Let's define prophecy. Prophecy is God giving someone a message to give to someone else. I mean, that's about as simple as we can state it, right? There's nothing spooky about it. There's nothing weird going on. God obviously is all-knowing, right? He knows everything. His spirit is, is in us, and he has promised that his spirit will lead us into all truth. So, so this is the spirit of God speaking to us a word that we can share to edify the church, to, to strengthen, to encourage uh, another Wayne Grudem quote from his systematic theology about prophecy said, it should not be defined as predicting the future, nor as proclaiming a word from the Lord, nor as powerful teaching, but rather as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So, so, so prophecy happens when, when a revelation from God is passed on through that person's own words. So, why do we have prophecy? Why do we need prophecy? What's, what's the point of it? Well, obviously, sports betting and investments <laughs> and especially, especially political elections, presidential elections in particular, right? That's why we need prophecy, right? No, no. First Corinthians chapter 14, again, he, Paul is so clear. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. That's the point. 
That's the purpose, to, to build up the church, the church, to be used in the context of the local church body. This is one reason, if you've been to our church for many times, at the end of the service, a lot of times Pastor Barry will come up. He's one of our elders, and he has this, this gift of prophecy. And I'm, by the way, I'm going to use him as an example a lot today to kind of put it into the context what, what we're talking about. But he'll, he'll come up and he'll sometimes have a word that he feels like God has given him, maybe for our whole church, maybe for specific individuals. But the purpose of it is, is to encourage, to build up, to edify. Now, one quick warning. So when it comes to prophecy, some people get confused. Well, like you're talking about prophets and apostles, right? If we're talking about the office of prophet and apostle, that, 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 is, that is over. Like Paul was an apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? He, he was ordained by God, empowered to, to write scripture. That office is over with because the, the canon is closed. There's a difference between the, the office of apostle and the office of prophet and a spiritual gift of prophecy and apostleship, okay? So, so let's separate those in our mind. And in fact, a little warning bell should go off or a red flag if, if someone calls themselves a prophet. Just, just be wary, okay? That, that, that office is, is no more. But there are people that have those, those spiritual gifts, and that's, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, Joel here is speaking of prophecy, visions, and dreams. We define prophecy and now visions and dreams. You know, throughout the Old Testament, God consistently chose to reveal himself in these ways. But again, it was only to a select few, right? Just, just the ones he, he chose to pour his spirit out upon, like he would speak to them through dreams, through, through visions, and, and, and all, all sorts of cool things. But now, again, in the last days, it's not just a select few. It's all of us, all flesh, all of us, right? So what is a vision? A vision is witnessing something supernatural that is not visible to the naked eye. A vision may be related to God's working in the present or the future, may involve the ability to see spiritual entities at work in the physical world. So sometimes God will speak to us through a vision. You'll get a picture in your head or in your mind's eye, sometimes with your physical eyes. Again, back to Barry, you might hear him at the end of the service say, you know, I was praying during the service or praying before the service, and I feel like God gave me this, this picture, and he'll kind of explain what this picture was, you know, in, in trying to give a, a prophetic word for, for us or for some individual. That's what we're, we're talking about here. We see this all throughout the, the New Testament. In Acts 9, you have Paul and Ananias both have visions. It was Saul right on the road to Damascus. He He's, he's struck blind. He has this vision of, of Jesus and Jesus asking, why are you persecuting me? And then he, he, Jesus shows up to, to Ananias in a vision. He tells him to go find Saul. He gives him the exact address about where Saul will be so that he can meet him there. Acts 10, Peter has the same vision three times to show him that, that Gentiles are no longer seen as unclean. This is God trying to get through to stubborn Peter, like what his kingdom is really all about, how things actually work. He's the vision to do that. In Acts uh, 16, we're going to see that, that Paul ha has this vision of a Macedonian man saying, come help us. And so this is a cool thing that, that happens that Luke, remember, Luke is the one telling this story in Acts. And we talked about how they spent time together. This is one of those evidences that they were together. Luke says, after Paul has this vision of the Macedonian man, so we decided to go to Macedonia. He said, we, we decided that's probably God telling us we should go there. And so God used this vision, this little simple quick vision to get them 
to go the direction that God wanted them to go. So, kind of a, a real-world example. This, is, this comes from, from Mark. Mark, our worship leader, is just up here singing. A few years ago, he had a vision. So I asked him to, to write it out for me. I want to read it to you. Powerful, powerful stuff. He says, one day about 10 years ago, I was praying by myself and had a vision from the Lord. The only way I can describe it is like I was seeing different scenes from a movie. It was way more vivid than a daydream and felt different than anything I'd ever felt before. The first thing I saw was my son, Jay, standing in, in the south lobby of this building right next to the door to our volunteer hospitality room. He looked like he was 12 or 13 years old. He had glasses and spiked hair, basically the way he looks now. At the time, Laura and I were trying to adopt Jay through the, the foster care system while I worked here at the Experience Life downtown campus. That's what it was before, Experience Life downtown's campus. He was only one at the time, but I knew that it was him, that it was him in my vision. We had run into some speed bumps with his adoption and the chances of us adopting him were not looking good. In the moment, I felt like God was reassuring me that he would be our son and that we'd get to see him grow up. The next scene I saw was a large, empty worship center I didn't recognize. I was walking down the empty middle aisle towards the back of the room carrying my guitar case. I assumed I'd just finished leading worship for whatever church this was. Coming down the aisle from the opposite direction was my wife, Laura, holding a baby carrier with a, a little curly-haired... <laughs> a little curly-haired girl running towards me with her arms open. I bent down and gave her a big hug, but I never saw her face. Years later, God would use that part of the vision to confirm. This was our daughter, Malia as we were adopting her from Thailand. And man, was the curly hair part spot on. The next scene I saw was all of us getting into the car in the parking lot just outside the south entrance here. I realized the empty church I had seen in the vision was the old bus barn completely finished out. God used that vision over the years to encourage me through our adoption journey with our two youngest kids. The following years, I started working for Raider Church, and then from that came City Church. I figured the vision had been of this building because that was the context of my current life and circumstances, that God had just given me a picture of something I was familiar with to show me what was to come for my family. But little did I know that I would be back working in the same building 10 years later. And even now, we are in the process of working towards building that worship center in place of the bus barn. What a powerful example of God speaking to someone in a way to, to encourage them and to, to guide, guide their life and to give them confirmations of what, what he was ultimately doing. When Mark got alone, got still, got quiet, and was praying and gave God room to speak to him, God gave him a vision. He wants to do the same for you. He wants to speak to us in these ways. That, that, that's what a vision is. What is a dream? Let's go to dreams now. A dream is an experience of unreal events that occur in the mind of a person during sleep. You already knew that part, right? <laughs> um, how many of you dream like a lot? Like you just like dream like every night? Yeah, me too. I dream a lot. Did you know? Research shows that people that dream on a regular basis are more intelligent. <laughs> it's got to be true. They're more intelligent and also better looking than people that don't. My whole life I've had recurring 
dreams about rattlesnakes. I do not like snakes, but in, in dreamland, the, the rattlesnakes are super fast and you cannot run them. Think about how terrifying that is, right? I also have a lot of dreams that I, I don't know how to say it delicately, but that I murder people. Like, uh, I'm usually the good guy murdering bad guys, but sometimes I'm the bad guy, okay? And I may or may not have had some dreams where I've murdered my wife, okay? So I know, I don't know what that says about me or her or whatever, us. If, if you're a licensed therapist, maybe we could talk after the service. We all know what dreams are, but what are God dreams? What are Holy Spirit dreams? Dreams that come from him are, are gonna stand out. They're gonna be different. They're probably gonna be vivid, maybe more clarity, more detail. You, you'll wake up and you'll be like, what was that, right? There'll be something different about it. All throughout scripture, we see dreams. Joseph, if you remember, had a dream that his family, including his brothers, his older brothers, would, would bow down to him one day. They, they hated it so much and it made him so mad. They threw him in the pit. They sold him into slavery. But then 13 years later, there it was. It happened, right? God fulfilled what he gave Joseph in that dream. Joseph also interprets dreams for, for Pharaoh, helps him understand the dreams that he was having about this coming famine. Daniel, we went through the book of Daniel a couple of years ago. Daniel interpreted dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar, helped him interpret what God was trying to say to him through these dreams that he was giving him. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned real briefly that I had the dream. I've had two God dreams. This was the second one. It's been almost six years ago exactly now. But this, this was my dream. I, I, was, I was floating in this, this abyss, right? Like just free floating in, in just the, the darkness. And I look up and above me is this, this um, fireplace mantle, right? Just floating up there. And I want to get to it, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to like reach for it, and I'm making some progress. I'm, I'm getting closer to it, and then I start free-falling. Free-falling, falling, 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 and then there's this white cloth that appears in my mouth, and it makes me start to rise again. And I'm reaching for this mantle, reaching for this mantle, and I finally grasp it with both hands. On top of the mantle, there's propped up a, a Bible that's open, and out of the Bible comes a hand that touches my hand, and then a tear falls on my hand, and then I woke up. And the question again was like, what was that? You know, so, but I, I, it was just such a holy moment. Like I, I knew it was God. So I got my phone out and typed the notes. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Just, I asked him, what does this mean, Lord? And he said, the finding of the human lights. And, you know, that was before the city and before we called it the city based on the verse talking about being a city on a hill and, and, a, and a lamp that can't be hidden. And through that, and again, this is still unfolding over the last six years, but through that dream, God was just encouraging me about this next season of life and that this next season of ministry wouldn't look like the previous ones did and that, that it reassured me that he was in it and that he was you know, leading me to lean into a speaking gift or, or counseling people and, and really being used by him with the, the words that I say, having a, a new love and passion for, for scripture and that he was in it, he was blessing it such an encouragement to me over the years at times when I've kind of questioned things or felt, felt lost. That's a dream. He, he wants to give us dreams. He wants to give you dreams. He wants to speak to you in that way. Prophetic visions, prophetic dreams, prophecy. 
dreams and visions. I love this quote by Daryl Bach. He said, in both cases, the point is, God will be accessible to his people and he will direct his people. That's the heart of God. He's accessible to us and he wants to lead us. He wants to, to direct us. And Luke here clearly believes that this, this prophetic empowerment should characterize the church, us, believers. So we've established he's speaking, right? If you, if you are a Christ follower, you have a spirit in you, he is speaking to you, right? He's speaking to us. So, so how do we learn to discern his voice? How do we know it's God? Like how many thoughts do you have that go through your your mind in a given day, thoughts and emotions and craziness. Like, how do you know it's God speaking to you and you didn't just have some bad sushi or something? You know, it's like, you have to have a way, how do you discern what, what's, what's real? Because scripture tells us that our hearts are deceptive, right? Deceitful. Our emotions are all over the place. Very rarely does our flesh lead us in a good direction. So how do we know that God is speaking to us? Well, when he speaks, it must be tested. It must be tested. This is straight from, from Scripture. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's the love chapter, he, he hints towards this, how any spiritual gift, specifically prophecy, words of knowledge, these kinds of things, those gifts in our hands are partial. They're, they're imperfect. Why? Because we still have a, a sin nature. We are imperfect people. So, so gifts coming through us can, can be skewed. They can be, be, uh, be off. So, so we will be wise to handle these kinds of gifts with, with humility. If you've ever been to one of our new member lunches, maybe you're registered today. It's gonna to be upstairs right after the service. Hopefully you registered. Um, if you didn't register, don't go because you won't have food. Okay, all right, but whatever. You could come, just don't eat. All right. Um, whatever. Uh, one of the things that Clayton says about how he, you know, we believe as a church, how he personally fits in like theologically, he says, we are charismatic with a seatbelt. The seatbelt, this, this testing is the, the seatbelt, right? We, we believe God still moves today. He still does miracles. All the gifts are still operational, but, but there has to be testing. There has to be some, some limits, some, some rules. Like, where do we get this? Well, we didn't make it up. Again, it's Paul. Uh, this is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies. Some translations say don't, don't hate prophecy, but test everything that is said. Test it. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So, so if we're testing it, if it fails the test, it's not from God. And in fact, he's kind of hinting here. It could, it's evil. It's, it's not him. And that we should throw it out. So, so we, have, we have to test. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. He suggests that they should listen carefully and sift the good from the bad. You accept some, you reject others. Remember, we, we handle this kind of stuff with, with humility. Back to Barry, this is one of the reasons you'll hear him say things like, I think God might be saying this, or I, I, I feel like the Lord might be putting this on my heart, or he, I feel like maybe he's showing me that, like it's never thus saith the Lord. Why? Because we want to be, be humble in our gift. We want to be careful we're, that we're, we're, you know, we're, we're following the guidelines of Scripture. So, so how do we test it? We should test it. It's clear in Scripture. How do we test it? First, we submit it to God's Word. Submit it to, this, this is like an answer for everything in your life. 
measure it against scripture. God's word is the standard of truth. It is infallible. It is without error. Like like everything in your life, everything should be measured against his word. Ordinary congregational prophecy in the New Testament churches didn't have the same authority as scripture, right? So it was not spoken in words that were the very words of God, right? They're, They're human words. So a prophetic word should never compete in authority with Scripture. It, it can't, because Scripture is the authority. In fact, Paul told the Thessalonians to, to hold firm, to not, not to the traditions that were prophesied in their church, but to what he himself taught them to do. He, he is an apostle, right? He's writing the words of Scripture. His word is the authority, not some prophetic word given through a human mouth that has a prophetic gift, right? It, it's just not Scripture. It's not the same thing. If there's a disagreement between the two, Scripture wins. If it's not in line with Scripture, it is a false prophecy. It's a false vision. It's a false dream, and it's not from him. That's another thing you'll hear, hear Barry say from time to time is like, hey, hey, check that, especially if it's a specific word for somebody. Like, check, check that against Scripture. And also, we have to not just submit it to Scripture. We have to submit it to Jesus. Submit it to Jesus. A true prophecy will always point to the truth, to Scripture, to the gospel. It'll agree with the teachings of Jesus. God is not going to speak something to us today in some kind of new revelation that contradicts what he has already said in Jesus. Is it based in love, grace, and truth for the, for the building up of the body? we gotta, we got to test it against Jesus and also test it, submit it to community. Submit it to community, church leaders, elders. We, we have some people in our church that have this prophetic gift. We have some people on our, our, our prayer teams that have this prophetic gift. And sometimes they will, will have this sense that they, they have a word for us, or for an individual, or for you know, the church body as a whole. And what they'll do is submit that. They don't just come barge up on stage and grab the microphone, right? They submit that to, to Barry. And Barry, being an elder of our church, someone who, who's wise in his gifts, can kind of listen and prayerfully consider, is this right? Is this the timing right? Should it be a private thing? Should it be given to, to everyone? And he's done that a few times where he said, you know, so-and-so had this, this, this word and I'm sharing it now with you. So that's, that's part of the process, submitting it to, to community. Um, if, if a word of prophecy is given to you, if someone says, look, this is a word I have for you, this is what God's saying to you. First of all, red flags, right? But even if they're like, I feel like God might be saying to you X, another way you can test that against your community is to take it to your community of faith. Like if you're in a city group, people that you follow Jesus with, you take it to them and say, does this sound right? Does this sound like me? You know, you're submitting it to scripture, to Jesus, to your community. Testing prophecy is so, so, so very important because... (laughs) This is an area we can get this really, really screwed up. We, we have to have the seatbelt. Without the seatbelt, there's no telling where you, where you end up. You can wander off into the, the weird wilderness, right? This uh, podcast I heard this last week was a pastor. Uh, his name is David Diga Hernandez, but he was talking about living in the Spirit and experiencing the Holy Spirit working in your life, and it's a lot of the same stuff we're talking about today. And he, he talks about the, the four W's. Um, he says, first of all, the way it should work is our lives as believers should be built on his word, 
on Scripture. That should be the, the foundation of, of our lives. And if that's the case, if our lives are built on Scripture, naturally, like a naturally occurring uh, result from that is we, we get wisdom. That's the second W, wisdom. Like we, we, we have biblical wisdom. Wisdom kind of flourishes in us. And then as the foundations of word and wisdom have, have been laid in our lives, now we're, we're better able to understand and discern the whisper that comes from his spirit in us who again wants to, to lead us into specific things in our life. So, so for example, Scripture can, can inform decisions that we make in our life. Obviously, they're supposed to, but, but you're not going to find chapter and verse about who to marry, chapter and verse about where to live, what job to take, what school to go to. But, but the Holy Spirit does have answers to those questions, and he will lead us specifically, right? So, so when we're, we're grounded in the Word and, and we're, we have his wisdom, we can discern those whispers and then he can lead us into the wonders. Prophetic words, miracles, other, other gifts of the spirit, but so many believers get it backwards. We, we live by the wonders. We seek only the wonders. And then, then what happens, they, they think they always hear the whisper and they're always right about the whisper and it's always God. And they get too overly confident in their ability to discern God's vo voice. And ultimately what happens is they can tend to ignore, though not intentionally, Ignore wisdom. Ignore the truth of God's word. They, they seek his, his hand instead of his face. These are the ones that can go way off track into weird and dangerous places, teaching and believing extra biblical things and proclaiming that it's the word of God. And so many of us fall for it. First, we have to be grounded in the word so that we can become over time people of wisdom. And then when we're entrusted with the whispers of the spirit, he can give us specific words for, for us, for wonders we can discern. Are these from God? And still, I would add the importance of, of being held accountable right, by, by community. No like, no like Lone Ranger Christians out there. So, so what, what does this mean for you practically? Like if you hear a sermon, whether it's here or Another church or online, whatever. If you, you hear a sermon, test it. Test it against scripture, against Jesus, against community. If you hear a prophetic word, especially if you're in the YouTube prophets or whatever, like if you hear a word, test it. If you have a dream or a vision, test it. If, if, if there's a book that someone tells you, man, you have to read this book, like test it. If it is not in line with scripture, if it's stuff that's extra biblical, throw it out. Here's a couple of takeaways for us today. Remember, God poured out his spirit on everyone. If you're a Jesus follower, you have his spirit. And not only has he poured out his spirit on you, he wants to continue to pour out his spirit upon you, a continual pouring, a continual infilling. Because the, the fact is God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. And you're like, me? Yes. <laughs> you, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. He will pour out his spirit on all people. That, that verb used there in that, that uh, verse for, for poor, it's the image of a torrential downpour that is poured out on a parched earth. That's what he wants to do in your life. And, and 
You're parts for his spirit, whether you, you realize it or not. When's the last time you prayed, God, fill me with your spirit? The Father given CPR to mankind, breathing life in us. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 14 that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That kind of sounds like we should be asking, right? We, we all have gifts, but God, God's saying, ask me. Like any good father wants to give us gifts, right? Ask me, like pursue spiritual gifts. But he doesn't stop there. He said, especially that you might prophesy. That kind of sounds like you can ask for a gift that you don't have. Especially that you might prophesy. We should ask for them. We should pursue them. We should ask. Not that all will prophesy. Like Paul, also says, like, does everyone have the gift of prophecy? Obviously not, right? We, we, we don't all, but we should pursue it. We should, we should be asking God to speak to us, asking God to give you dreams. When's the last time you prayed, God, give me a dream that's from you? I, that's something I've been praying actively for the last six years. And God decides when and where he speaks, right? But I'm, I'm earnestly seeking it. And he wants to do the same for you. God, give me, give me visions from you. When's the last time you prayed and asked God for a vision? Ask him to speak to you, to give you insight, direction, give you a word for someone else. He wants to speak to you, but he also wants to speak through you. Remember, he's making his appeal to the earth through us. As we cry out, turn back to God. You know, like he, he wants to speak through us. He wants to use us to bring people to Jesus to help each other grow in our relationship with him. Prophecy is for the edification of the church to reveal himself to you and others. Grudem says this, another great benefit of prophecy is that it provides an opportunity for everyone to participate in the congregation, right? Not just those who are skilled speakers or have the gift of teaching. That doesn't mean it happens from the stage, right? But in, in our relationships, in our faith communities, this means that anyone who, who has a revelation when God has permission to, to say it privately, right? With, with Paul's guidelines, with the testing that we're talking about. And he even suggests that many will do this. Many should do this. We should be actively seeking God to speak to us in these ways. And so I have a couple of um, encouragements for, for you in the room, for, for the young people here. Younger than me, I don't know. That's young, right? I don't know. You're not too young. You're not too young. In fact, the, the first church, this church in Acts that we're, we're reading about is primarily a young people movement. Did you realize that? We picture like all these apostles with gray hair and gray beards and whatever, whatever else. Like Jesus died at 33. Probably his followers were younger than him. And they set the world on fire. In fact, if you look throughout church history, God tends to, to, to move those moves of God that happen that transform cities and countries even. They usually start with, you know, centered, revolving around groups of younger people that are on fire for him. Why? Well, they have more energy, probably. They're not all, have all these old people hangups where, where we get narrow in our thinking, you know, we get religious. Thank God for the energy and vision of the next generation. So let me just, just challenge you, young person, 
passionately follow Jesus. If you want to see some young people that are passionate about following Jesus, come here on a Wednesday night in this room. Our youth are fired up and they are eager for him to, to work and move in their lives, to speak to them, to speak through them. Honor and submit to older believers in your life, right? We can learn from them. Bryson Laws is a, a girl in our youth group, junior in high school, who's literally taking what she learns here and, and, and going to her friend groups with it. Like literally using the City 7 to tell her friends about Jesus. We got an email a while back from Josh and Haley Flores. They, they have two of their boys. They have a Malik's 10 and Malachi's 7. And um, Haley sent this email to, to Amber. I want to read it to you. She says, so about halfway through the midweek semester, this is last semester, the fall semester, Malik, their seven-year-old son, started showing a lot of interest in Jesus, asking questions about the cross, why he did it, things like that. Their older son, Malachi, the 10-year-old, was saying his prayers one night, and he passionately prayed that his seven-year-old brother, Malik, would come to know Jesus soon, and that he would understand the importance this was a different prayer than the normal every night prayer he would usually do. I mean, it was powerful coming from a 10-year-old. I can remember going to bed and telling Josh, your son just prayed like a Pentecostal preacher. <laughs> but I kid you not, two days later, Malik went to bed and prayed with Josh, God, help me pass my class so that I can go with you when you come back. So he's talking about our, our uh, kid faith class. We make You can't get baptized as a kid unless you know the gospel, right? So... Josh, of course, corrected him, explained it wasn't about a class, but about his heart. Malik asked Jesus into his heart that night. When we shared the news with Malachi the next morning, the look in his eyes when he realized his urgent prayer was answered by God was something I'll never forget. You're not too young to be used by God for God to speak to you, for you to speak to someone else. You're also not too old. For those of you on the other end of the spectrum, you're not too old. God's not done with you yet. If you're still above ground, he still has a plan and a purpose for you. So the challenge to you is say yes to him. Like be willing to be used, maybe to step into the unknown, like a new, a new calling, a new vision. Embrace and encourage, lead the next generation. Don't, don't just criticize them. A good example of this is my, my, my mother. My whole life she's been in some kind of ministry involved in, she's always done music and young adult ministry and marriage ministry and all kinds of things. But in her 60s, she sensed God leading her in a new direction and got involved in jail ministry the last place any of us thought that she would end up going to minister in, in, in jails. And she'd been doing that for like over a decade now. And it's amazing how God has used her. It, later in life, she's in her 70s now, faithfully goes every single week, speaking God's words of, of wisdom and the gospel to these ladies at our correctional facility. I have a, 
this is off subject, but I have a dog named Jerry. He's a double doodle. And he's a, a menace. Uh, it, he chews everything. He destroys things. Anyway, we, Optimum is our cable, our internet provider, and they never buried the, the fiber line in our yard, so it's been hanging on my fence for six months. Jerry finally got to it, and he chewed through it. So Wednesday, I got home to no internet, and we don't have traditional cable, so that means no TV, no computer, like nothing. Um, my boys thought Jesus had come back and left him there. But. <laughs> so I call him, the guy's supposed to come the next morning, like at eight, to fix my problem. Well, I wake up Thursday morning to... No cell phone service. Some of y'all are part of that. It was terrifying. It was like, I had no connection to the outside world whatsoever. I didn't know if this guy was trying to call me, if he was going to show up. I had to, was trying to get to work. Y'all felt that way when you were disconnected, like a little bit of panic, you know, like, oh my gosh, what if somebody's trying to get hold of me? How many of us live this way when it comes to our connection to the Holy Spirit? completely, maybe even ignorantly disconnected, like without any idea who might be trying to reach you. Completely in the dark. See, walking in the Spirit means trusting Him. Like the song we we sang before I came up here, trusting Him. It's it's responding to, to what we know of Him, living for Him, seeking Him, listening and obeying. If we're not living for Him, how, how can we expect him to speak to us clearly in these ways? So my question for you is, are you in a position to hear him speak? Because again, God decides when and if he speaks to us, especially in these miraculous ways, right? But we have a part to play in that. There, there, there are keys to our own, like the own, our own stillness in our hearts and in quieting our minds and giving room for him to speak to us and, and making space for him and having times of quiet where we're just seeking him like like those in the upper room where we're united in prayer like earnestly seeking God when's the last time you got alone with him and remember what else the Holy Spirit does in our lives as believers like he he works in us he sanctifies us like he, he works in us day by day in the little things, to to weed out things in our life that don't please him, that aren't from him, and deposits the the things of God. Is he active in your heart and life? Are you growing? Are you changing? And if not, let me just tell you, that's that's where you start. Let me just leave you with this quote from John Piper. I love this. This is my prayer for all of us. He says, Joel is not trying to get us excited that we will one day be able to know the future before it happens. There's nothing especially holy about that. He is looking to a day when men and women everywhere will be so filled with God, they will catch visions of him in the daytime, dream about him at night, and speak of him continually with their mouths. May it be so of us. Just bow your heads with me and just kind of a moment of prayer here. What's God speaking to you right now? What's he, what's he highlighting for you?
What, what does he kind of put his finger on in your life? That like this, this right here, this is what is stunting your growth. This is what is holding you back. And maybe we're talking about all this Holy Spirit stuff and you're like, man, I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit in me. I, I don't hear him speak to me. I don't feel conviction ever, you know, when, I, when I'm sinning or going my own way or whatever else. I, I'm gonna tell you now, you can have a relationship with God, but it's only when you surrender your life to him and you put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross. God, God wants a relationship with you, but you can't do it on your own. So, so I'm, I'm challenging you today, man. Make your first step be surrender to him. Put your faith in Jesus and the fact that he died on the cross to pay your fine. He died for your sins. And now scripture tells us if you, if you put your faith, all those who, who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like call on Jesus, God, God, move in me, save me, forgive my sins. And you can start a new relationship with Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you to lead, guide, direct. We'd love to pray with you about that if you want to go to the next, the Welcome Center. We have somebody there that would love to talk to you about next steps in your relationship with Jesus. For all of us, here's some questions I have. Surrender to Him is not a feeling. It's a lifestyle of obedience to the Word of God. Scripture tells us that our bodies are his temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you. you. You are his temple. So my question is, what are you doing with the Holy Spirit's hands? What are you seeing with his eyes? What are you saying with his mouth? Where are you going with his feet? You, you have the Holy Spirit, but does he have you? Have you surrendered areas of your lives? Are there things you're holding back? Are you allowing him to do his work in you? God, we ask in this moment just to, to clarify things for us, simplify things. God, what are you asking us to do? What are you asking us to, to change? What are you asking us to lean into or maybe run away from? Father, grow us in this next season of our life. God, give us, give us visions. Give us dreams, God, speak to us. And all the while, God, help us to, to stand on the foundation of your word. Move in our hearts, Lord, in your name, amen.